Levi Dylan Sykes makes music under the banner of Former Ruins. Thanks for joining The Antidote, Levi. Sure. Thanks for having me, Dave. I'd really like to have you take us back to day one of Former Ruins. How did this all come together? Oh, wow. (laughs) That's a great question. Um, The notion of writing original music was presented to me at a very early age um, from my father primarily. In high school, he was in a cover band. Even though it was the 70s and he was doing all kinds of things that, by God's grace, he was delivered from in the early 80s, he always had a love for reading. Even back when they were just playing loud, hard rock covers at parties, he would be attentive to well-crafted lyrics. And um, once he encountered the Lord and entered into um, kind of Christian subculture, you know, the music scene was a little spotty <laughs> in 1981. Mm-hmm. Um, so he always made a real effort to try to seek out those artists kind of in the Christian alternative music scene who were crafting music that wasn't just trying to sound like pop radio, but they were also attending to the lyrics. Um, so some early artists he, of course, really um, gravitated toward was was Dylan's uh, gospel phase, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of these albums that he had started um, collecting on vinyl or CD became fixtures in my own childhood. Um, I remember listening to artists like um, King's X, Hoi Polloi, and then the big names in our household were uh, Bill Maloney and the Vigilantes of Love. Oh, right. And Over the Rhine. And these, these you know, literate Christian artists. And I knew that they weren't big names, except for, you know, Bob Dylan, of course. I immediately appreciated the fact that these were people, maybe not, they didn't have some major break, but it was worth their while to take the time to try to express their own life, the depths of their faith, complexity of life these wonderful themes of a real lived life through song and specifically through lyrics. I remember um, a very early experience of sitting in the back seat, driving home from the beach at night and my sisters were falling asleep, but my dad would often to help keep himself awake, play um, a CD. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, I think this time isn't one of them by Bill Maloney came on. And it was the first time I heard a lyric and I didn't grasp its meaning but I felt its meaning. Hmm. Like I felt it in my, you know, nine-year-old boy heart. (laughs) And it was, um, sometimes joy feels so elusive, out of your grasp and three sheets to the wind. I didn't know what elusive meant, but I guessed from the middle seat in the back, asked my dad, like, what Hmm. does he mean by three sheets to the wind? And my dad explained the metaphor. And ever since then, I just have always been fascinated by songcraft. Fast forward all through the years, I buy an electric guitar and I learn one chord and I get rid of it a year later. (laughs) I'm 12 and my dad buys me a bass guitar and I cry through my first few lessons because of calluses and I can't figure it out and it's too hard. And he just said, Levi, you're really going to appreciate being able to play music someday. So I kind of got into the high school band scene, you know, Uh, so I was listening to Tooth and Nail Records bands and... uh, had a band all through high school with some close friends, and I was the only one in the band without a mic because I have struggled my whole life with singing. You're um, kidding. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but my dad would point out to me 
Levi, people listen to Bob Dylan not because he's technically a great singer. Mm-hmm. They listen because he's conveying something with authenticity and he's, he has something to write about. And so that always was kind of in my back pocket. Like, okay, I don't have to be a great singer. It actually became such a stumbling block in my spiritual life where I so desired to be able to write songs and I began to envy the people who, in my mind, could just pick up a guitar around a campfire and sing. Some of my friends are great singers and they can do it and that's wonderful. And I I completely stopped all through um, junior year, senior year. I got married right out of college to Jennifer and it was about two years later when we were expecting our first daughter, I had brought my acoustic guitar along with me and a song came out and it was the very first song I felt like I could actually recognize my own voice in. But I just had the thought, I want my daughter to see me creating and not being so closed in on myself anymore. And so actually when I had changed jobs and I was managing a coffee shop, the guy who ended up becoming a co-manager with me, Keith Hartman, who in a wonderful twist of the story is the guy who mixed and mastered my album. Wow. Um, we were at this coffee shop together and he was releasing his album and he needed an opener. He just kept saying, Levi, why don't you open for me? Levi, this is your home turf, man. You're not going to find a friendlier crowd. Just do it. I want you to do it. And I decided to go ahead with it. Two friends supporting me on Cajon and electric guitar as Levi Dillon and the former ruins. I think that was the moment where something switched And I began recognizing this is something I've always loved doing, and I'm ready to begin. So you gave us the whole story of how Former Ruins came to be. Why don't we get into your music? The first single from your 2020 debut, The Large Startling Album. Mm -hmm. Now, I originally thought that Cars of Our Youth was going to be reminiscing about your first car, but it goes (laughs) way deeper than that. The song says, we were promised happiness would be us in motion. While I'm still at this wheel, I don't feel closer to it. I just feel closer to the edge. But really, I guess what I want to know, is anyone ever completely happy or satisfied? I, I do think we can begin participating in our eternal happiness here. Because I do believe that there is a kingdom that gives us foretastes of what we're really wanting and what does satisfy the hungry heart. I do believe we can find real rest, even in the restlessness of life on this side of the veil, so to speak. Um, We're instructed in the letter to the Hebrews to enter into the rest of Christ that he has inaugurated. That's here, Um, here available to us. So I really do believe that I am not a cynic in that way. I was actually just talking to my wife about that song a few <laughs> a few days ago after audio feed and like we we didn't play that song. In fact, I I haven't played it for a couple years partly because I feel like the accent of that song is a little maybe it's Ecclesiastes, right? <laughs> it's a, mm-hmm. a little too a little too despairing. But I do still agree with the notion of that song that like these things when we worship creatures or the goods of this world as our ultimate ends, that's when things start going south. Mm -hmm. And we get diminishing returns. 
and all the pleasures of this world begin under-delivering on their lofty promises. That's kind of the main gist of that song. Something else I want to hear about is the name Former Ruins. Sure. Because I've also seen your music described as post-cynical, meaning that you've had a dramatic change. Yeah, I think in my life I've remained um, rather consistent, I would say, by God's grace, having a very like living faith in the goodness of God, the truth of his word, and his power. His power principally to transform. We have a transformational faith, not a transactional one. Mm-hmm. And when I landed on the band name Former Ruins, I, I wanted... Of course, I've second-guessed it a million times, <laughs> and I wish I could change it, but I still, I just accept that's what it is. And I still believe in the underlying message. I wanted something hopeful that didn't sound sentimental, something that acknowledged the truth of the situation on the ground. Most of the time, we, we are prone to ruin, things fall apart, but the great subversion that has occurred of the incarnation and the resurrection and Jesus's passion is the redeeming of all of those things that we, all the, all those ways in which we are ruined and the ways that we can bring things to ruin. It's just a very succinct gospel message, <laughs> basic gospel message in the band name. So there it is. <laughs> but then why do you regret the name now? I, I don't regret the meaning at all. I stand by the meaning and I pray I live the meaning. Um, I'm not trying to in any way distance myself from that. I just think the aesthetics of the words, they don't quite align with the aesthetic of the music as much as I'd like. You mean because it makes you sound like you're an emo band? It kind of sounds like an emo band. It kind of, (laughs) I think ruins kind of evokes like, I mean, even like the Stonehenge sequence of a spinal tap or (laughs) some of those, some of those, it's evocative of kind of an aesthetic or ruins that sounds to me a little bit more like, oh, that could be like a metal band. But it's the one I chose. And you know what? As I continue to develop my sound, and I'm kind of looking ahead to developing into a little bit more of like some of the music I grew up listening to, like atmospheric Americana, a little bit more folk rock with these kind of sparkly atmospheric elements that I love. Former Ruins will be there, and it just will be the name I'm stuck with. And that's okay well that's certainly how i would have described the sound of former ruins folk rock well there we go then maybe it's all copacetic you know a couple months back a guest and i were speaking about how christian artists rarely record a love song Hmm. but you did that on way out you sing when i found you time split in two like the opening of an age i don't know what waits past the threshold but when I find out, I will stay. I mean, that's a winner. <laughs> I'm sure your wife gave you at least 50 points for that one. <laughs> yes, she did. Of course, she's the inspiration of the song subject, but she actually challenged me to write a love song because I was writing all of these naughty, twisty, metaphor-laden, existentially angsty songs. And she said, Levi, why don't you ever just try writing a simple love song? And I, I kind of rolled my eyes at her and played a C and an F, right? You know, <laughs> most basic chords I played. I said, oh, something like this, all the ways I've loved you, too many to count. And I just kind of like did it in a sing-songy way. And then I look up and the way she's looking at me tells me that's actually exactly what she was wanting. 
and I probably shouldn't keep joking about it. And so I then just developed the rest of the song. And um, yeah, that's a special one. That was definitely more of a staple in the earlier years of Former Ruins. And I was playing more acoustic and solo. And I should uh, play that one live sometime soon. That's a sweet one. How does a guy like you, four kids, married, you've got a job. How do you get the time to do the music? Um, well, you, you do have to just make the time. And um, the creation of this album happened over the course of literally hundreds of parachute-in recording sessions just in my, you know, my DAW logic on my MacBook. Mm-hmm. And as hard as that is, and as much as it made for a very fragmented experience, I used the phrase workmanlike earlier, and you almost do have to have the perspective of 6 a.m. is not the ideal time. I am tired. I would rather just be upstairs with my coffee, but I have this time. I need to punch in. My shift has started. I need to punch in and at least try to like get the base part of uncreated light verse two done. Because if I get that done, I will be that much closer to getting the whole song done and then the whole record's done. It was truly like, you know, how do you eat an elephant? You just do a little bite at a time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Maybe that's kind of a grotesque phrase. I heard my dad use that growing up. I really do have a friend who has nothing to do with music, really, but he's a dear friend. And he is an early riser. I mean, he's like a 5 a.m. early riser, very disciplined with getting enough sleep. He himself has a family, day job, but he also does carpentry. And um, he invited me to pray with him three times a week and then two times a week every other week. And he said, I'll come over to your house at 545. Does that sound good? And uh, I said, sure, because <laughs> I knew I needed that was like at the beginning of making this album. I, I knew I needed to become a morning person to get this done because I had been trying to do it all in the evenings after we put all of our children to bed. I'm sitting in front of a computer my whole work day, then it's dinner and clean up from dinner and be with the children and put them to bed. And it's 830 and then I'm going to look at my wife, who's very tired out from the day, and then I'm going to go back downstairs. And if I'm doing that every night, that is not healthy for any kind of marriage, at least not for us. I really perceive I need to be at rest with my wife in the evenings. She's had a long day and I've, I've had one too. So yeah, the morning time, I'm telling you what, I, I wish I could wake up at 5 and not 5.30, um, get even more done. But you have made it sound as if it is a bit of a chore to get the music created. Presently it is. It is not how I want to make album number three. It's a very, going to be a very different process because it's songs I've actually already written and played live. Uh, no Creature is Hidden was comprised entirely of songs I had never played live, which kind of bears itself out in the arrangements. Um, they're a little more intricate and complex than anything I'm ever going to be able to handle live. So album number three, though... We are really praying as a family about how we can possibly navigate this for the long haul, because I need more time, especially during the waking, working hours to devote to music. It's a work in progress. That's it. That's the future. But for now, you and I can talk to the here and the now, which is your follow-up to the debut. As you mentioned, the new album's called No Creature is Hidden. And seriously, that's one of the best things I've heard this year. Wow, thank you, Dave. And I'm tremendously critical. So. 
when you did the album, did you really have a solid idea about what you wanted to do with it? I did know that I wanted it to be a transitional album in the sense of it was time to have something complete. I knew I wanted to land on 10 songs at least and something that I could propose to uh, listeners, close listeners, patrons, who I'm so thankful for. I'm, I'm amazed at the amount of people who actually wanted to chip in and help practically fund the process of producing this album. I knew I needed to make a return on that kind of investment of both belief on the part of my wife and my extended family who really do believe that there's something to this. So I wanted it to feel like a complete work. I didn't want to just kind of keep releasing one-off singles. I needed a proper follow-up to Large Startling and something that signaled I'm, this is kind of serious business. <laughs> and then also... No Creature is Hidden represents Levi Learns How to Produce. <laughs> and that's for better or for worse. Before this album, there was so much in the software and just with recording, I did not know how to do. And this was a tremendous learning experience. There's things that I hear now in every single one of the songs that I wish I could do differently. I would strip it back, I would pare it down. But I just am trying to have a growth mindset with the album. Like This was such a necessary album for me to kind of up the production value to learn the craft a little bit more and um in that respect i think it was successful i did know what i wanted the album to be with regard to its message and its theme um i had landed on that name before i that no creature is hidden when i had only written maybe doxology and sparrow eyes i mean <laughs> the rest of the album are songs that i wrote in the midst of making the album they were written in real time pretty much as I was recording them. A handful of them um, found their genesis in a few demos sent from a collaborator named John Michael Sellers. He kind of sent me, they were very kind of these impressionistic, almost cinematic sounding little demos, which is mostly made with synthesizers. Sign is one of them. And he sent that to me and I thought, I think I can make a song out of this. And so he's a, he's a co-writer on that song, but you know, I added the lyrics and the melody and, expand the vision of those demos to include the the stringed instruments like uh, guitars and bass and then the drum kit and so i was making these songs under that banner of no creature is hidden mm -hmm. and um that that's a direct reference uh, from scripture so i had a fairly good idea thematically of what i wanted the album to say but sonically and what the songs were going to be that was a uh, kind of on the fly <laughs> i was figuring it out as i went but it does work so well thank you you know, something I find on the album is that much of it is about different types of love. God's love, a mother's love. And here, I'm going to go for a guess that maybe there's a grandmother's love. So you got to tell me if I'm right or wrong. Is that how the title Sparrow's Eyes came about? You, you have touched on something very, um, it's a keen observation. It is not a grandmother. But ah. what's very funny is that my, my second daughter's middle name is Sparrow, after the maiden name of my grandmother. So, very close, very close. Maybe my, my grandmother's influence is there. Um, the symbol of the mother in Sparrow Eyes actually is a symbol of um, the church. So, I'll, I'll maybe leave it at that. But um, 
Lindy is the kind of the more the concrete expression of motherhood. That is about my actual biological mother and just all that beautiful gift of life, the sanctity of life and the sanctity of her life. Um, but yeah, in Sparrowwise, the mother is that much more metaphorical. You know what I want to tell you is that the very first time I heard a song from Former Ruins, I thought, man, this guy's voice reminds me so much of Matt Berninger of The National. <laughs> you have probably heard that a thousand times. I've actually had to tell people that a few dozen times because sometimes people are naive and they think, wow, like you have a really unique voice. And I pretty much tell them it was actually singing along to Boxer by The National that gave me my first clue that I actually had a voice that could maybe work in indie rock. Because up until hearing The National, you know, I had not heard Nick Cave. I had um, listened to Dylan, but I didn't really have many other reference points. I listened to Me Without You a lot in college mm-hmm. and in high school. So there's kind of that sing-speak thing. And sure. I, could, I could imitate Aaron Weiss pretty well. <laughs> But you're right on the money because it was listening to Fake Empire, that coming through my headphones when I was in late high school, it was like an epiphany because I could sing along to it for the first time, didn't immediately feel out of my depth, even though he has a deeper voice than me and it's richer. And The difference is that your vocals are crisper and they're more assured sounding than Berninger's. Oh, I mean, crazy. that's my opinion. I've been very, very... Um, inspired by him as a, both as a vocalist and as a lyricist and um, find his work very beguiling, very compelling. And um, I'll take the comparison. <laughs> <laughs> What's also different about Former Ruins is that you're making music with really thought-provoking lyrics. And the thing is, that's really not as common as it should be. You even sort of mentioned that, you know, a little bit obliquely in Horses in First Drafts. Something else is that a number of your songs mention other pretty significant songwriters. You know, people like Bruce Springsteen, Sufjan Stevens, Dave Bazan, and of course you've already mentioned Bob Dylan. So those type of artists have been an inspiration to you? Yes, they have. Um, Either a direct inspiration or they have featured in the lives of others that I'm addressing in those songs. So Sufjan Stevens shows up in Chaplin and um, David Bazan shows up in Flannel Graph. And actually in both of those songs, I'm using them as kind of um, common denominators between me and kind of the person I'm addressing in both of those songs, kind of the main person I have in my mind. Um, because those artists actually meant a lot to them. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, and I'm not trying to name drop them to do much else other than um, make it seem more concrete and real. Yeah, that that's how it went. Those artists and some of the themes dealt with in those songs. You know, I, I think when you come up in um, kind of the Christian music scene, and that's a big part of your formation <laughs> as a growing up Christian, in some way it becomes like an informal catechism the music you listen to. (laughs) Um, And I saw that play out a lot in the friends I grew up with, who I was in this band with. Music almost became the functional formator or educator in the things of the faith. And so it's like the very first time you hear Sufjan Stevens talk about praying for somebody, but they don't get healed. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I remember where I was when I was hearing 
people who were a few years older than me and they were like the cool Christians in my eyes, you know, because <laughs> they were like 16 and I was 12. I was hearing them quote um, Kazimir Pulaski Day by Sufjan Stevens to each other. And the look on their faces when they said that line, I felt palpably like that is speaking to them more than anything they've ever read in the Bible. I didn't necessarily agree with that sentiment, but it's like I could tell this lyric was doing more to rearrange their theological furniture than anything they had ever heard on a Sunday morning. And then the same thing happened again with um, a David Bazan song. And I was with my friends and they were quoting me this lyric and just, they were like, that's just so honest, man. And I'm hearing it and I'm thinking, okay, well, that's a bit of a sassy theological take, but I don't know if that's like the final word on the matter. But I could tell as my friends were listening to this song and quoting me this lyric, it kind of sealed the deal for them. Bazan's take on this certain theological topic. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I'm getting at in, with those references. But then with your own music... Are you willing to challenge people with your lyrical content? Um, you know, I, I think the truth is challenging because, you know, we need transformation and we need healing. So that's like my starting point. And I am, I'm okay with my own lyrics challenging somebody, but I want to draw a very clear distinction between being a provocateur, so to speak, mm-hmm. and being someone who is truly trying to take seriously the transformative and startling, if you will, message of Jesus Christ, the eternal word that has instantiated in time and space as a human. It's the Christian faith is cosmic and wild and profound and nuanced all at the same time and and startling in its claim. And so I don't think I need to really be needlessly provocative. In fact, Speaking very personally, I think real transformation happens the more docile we are and the more humble and receptive we are to a truth that is way bigger than our own cleverness. Mm-hmm. And um, that we, it's the obedience of faith, basically, is what I'm trying to say. I'll leave it at that for now. <laughs> it's quite clear that you're really solid in your faith. I guess that really ties into the song False Infinities. You know, because the song has a non-believer being swayed by relativism. Mm -hmm. And then you bring in a counterpoint. I was a self-referring circuit of positive inputs, but nothing electric ever struck. Nothing could judge me, oppose me, or conduct me, and therefore not love me that much. So since you wrote that song, you must have expectations. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could say I'm not trying to be very nuanced. (laughs) Mm-hmm. True. <laughs> if that's what we're trying to get at, um, you know, some songwriters almost relish writing impressionistic lyrics, and they really are keen on the idea of listeners having their own interpretations, right? Mm-hmm. All the time. I guess you could say I'm kind of having have a very different perspective and a, a very different school of thought. Um, Is that age related? age-related. Yeah, because you're in your 30s. You're not like writing this as a late teen, early 20. You know, Dave, I, I sort of see this across the decades. In fact, many people my age and my slice of life are very ardently embracing labels like ex-evangelical, um, deconstructionist, mm-hmm. progressive, whatever it may be. 
And I think I'm in this and I'm doing this because I actually believe in what I'm saying and I am trying to communicate something concrete. And if anything, I, I try to be a little guarded with how much I talk about my songs because I, I just want to be a little bit more disciplined with my speech and I can talk about myself a lot. And I see in that something that could be perfected further by God's grace. I do think like these songs will pass away my life will reach its end. And I do feel kind of that Pauline summons, like woe to me if I do not announce the gospel. And I can't use my songs and just a bunch of hazy impressionistic lyrics as a shield. Like I I am trying to do what I can to make that proclamation, perhaps in a, a unexpected way or kind of a startling way. But still in a metaphorical way. Metaphorical, because I I think metaphor is um, beguiling and intriguing and beautiful and very cool. (laughs) Like it's what speaks to me. But I, I'm not just trying to dish out metaphors for the sake of it. That I know what the meta is for, um, so to speak. (laughs) You're in service of something. I'm and I'm trying to point to it. But one thing about the songs on No Creature Is Hidden is that they're incredibly long. I mean, which doesn't really make them too radio-friendly. I mean, because they're all in the five-minute-plus range. I know, Dave, and that makes... It's one of my biggest regrets (laughs) about the album. I think only, what, maybe three or four songs just make it under five minutes. they, They start with that beautiful four, but it's like four minutes and 47 seconds, or four minutes and 55 seconds. I told my wife that for album number three, my personal goal is to make a third of the songs should be less than four minutes. <laughs> that, that's I'm, and then I'll have one song that's maybe some 12-minute you know, thing where I just pack in all the, all the leftover lyrics that I shaved off the other ones. Who knows? Earlier on, I was talking about thought-provoking songs. And I think the one that really fits that kind of label is Uncreated Light, which finishes with this verse that says, So find me reclining against your most chaste chest. I'll hear your resting cadence. Bear a resemblance to repent, repent, repent. We all need to hear some hard things sometimes. Okay, now I'm going to say for myself, I do understand that. But do we really need to hear hard things? Like, how does that help us? Hmm, That's a good question. Well, the hard things is a direct reference to the many times in the gospel accounts when it is said of something Jesus has just taught, that it was a hard saying. Some people, you know, there's crowds who approach him or the disciples approach him like, this is a hard saying, who can receive it? And it's at moments like that, that our Lord seems to double down so much of the time. He doesn't say, oh, well, what do you think it means? (laughs) Or I'm cool with you interpreting me however you want. He says some very hard things. I mean, if we just kind of bring it down to even the level of relationships, the most remedial things, the most reparative things that have ever been said to me usually are hard to hear. You know, they're hard to hear. It's, it's revealing something about us that we'd rather not be known or exposed. There's an image also in that song about the table. Mm-hmm. And I think the basic Christian invitation is... Jesus holds table fellowship with sinners. Yes, it's so true. Thanks be to God, because I want to be at that table with him, and I'm a sinner. 
But I think the problem in modernity is that nobody is really willing to say they're a sinner. So we're wanting to have it both ways, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our Lord has table fellowship with sinners, but nobody is stepping up and saying, yes, that's me, and I need mercy. We think we're approaching the table of the Lord, and it's a, a nice Sunday brunch, you know, where everyone is just <laughs> pleasant with each other. And we sit down, and we're thankful to be invited when we realize it transforms into a surgeon's table. And that's really what we need. That's the hard thing. So maybe that's what I'm, what I'm getting at. I so what kind of an effect do you want to really make with No Creature is Hidden? You know, I, I, I love that it's kind of found some purchase among some listeners. People seem to connect with the songs in surprising ways. And, you know, things that I thought were maybe overly cerebral or inaccessible because of clunky arrangements. I've talked to some people and it's like their favorite part of the song or their mm-hmm. favorite part of the album. So... I'm just trying to reserve my own judgments against myself and be a little bit more happy with the work. And I can say that I'm satisfied with what the work is, even though I am already scheming and dreaming about the future of Former Ruins and the the next songs I want to make. How I want the album to be received is for it to open up for me more opportunities to share my songs live. At Audio Feed, I was able to perform with uh, Aaron Cliff and Lee Cliff out of Fort Wayne, Indiana, two brothers who form a great rhythm section. And then we have a fourth collaborator who we, we think might be joining us for some live sets. I really feel like the MO for me is to kind of carry this album and learn more of the songs from the album. Because again, I alluded to this earlier, I did not road test these songs before I recorded them. I listened to so, like riffs and solos and I wasn't making notes of what I was doing. I was recording that at 10.30 at night or 5.45 in the morning. And, you know, so there's going to be some work I have to put in. And that's my hope for the album is it connects with listeners. It opens up some doors where people hear it and they think, wow, these, there's something here or this sounds pretty cool. We'll have this guy out at our cafe or our venue or our church or our coffee house or our campus or whatever. And then I can actually show up and maybe with the help of some of these good friends deliver these songs in a, in a way that you know, stands up to the album and invites a, even a deeper listening experience, because that's always what live does. I mean, it was almost two solid years of work. It, it was a lot of working, so it would be a true delight and a blessing for it to find a wider audience. Um, I'm just excited for it. <laughs> the antidote has been here with Levi of Farmer Ruins. Man, thanks so much for this talk. I really appreciate it. Dave, thanks for inviting me onto the show and uh, asking some great questions. It just means so much to me. I've appreciated it a lot. <laughs>